Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're well and enjoying our series, A Tale as Old as Time. It's fun to look at these um, biblical stories that have such strength and hope and power for us. So I hope uh, you've had fun before and you continue to have some fun now. Now, before I begin, I just want to highlight again, Mad Camp is a, a phenomenal event as it always is here. Some of you will know this. We've been doing this since 2011, uh, helping with Wesley Rankin and just uh, helping instill love and life and light in the light of young people. And uh, you help them to know that they matter. So this past week, you had about 150 kids and adults from Wesley Rankin and about almost 70 volunteers uh, feeding lots and lots of folks. And so thank you for all those who volunteered. Thank you for who made it possible. It's always a wonderful way to help us realize our goal of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus and to help uh, envision this community where people matter and where brokenness is healed and where love is lived. And so thanks for making that real. It's a good gift. It's something to celebrate. Yeah. <clears throat> we love celebrations, don't we? It's always fun to have a party. You guys partiers? That word has a different connotation to different folks, right? But uh, I won't ask which, what that connotation is to each person, right? But it's fun, to, it's fun to have parties, right? I mean, we all love to celebrate special and significant events, right? Whether it's our birthday or our anniversary or even New Year's, right? I, I, I always love to celebrate those events. I remember as a kid in elementary school in particular where we would have the classroom parties, right, for Christmas or Halloween or Valentine's Day. It was always fun. It's always fun to celebrate. Even we introverts can celebrate, right? Kay and I, my wife and I, we are uh, born in the same year, three weeks apart. Uh, we're both the youngest children in the family, so we're the spoiled, rotten kids in the family, right? So uh, when we turned 40, we determined we were going to have big old blowout parties. So we just had a big old blowout party, and we had lots of fun. And then when we turned 50, our older siblings, who, whose ages shall not go named, they threw us a big old party when we turned 50, and that was so long ago I can't even remember it anymore. But we love to celebrate, right? We love to have parties, and it's good to celebrate. It's good to commemorate. It's good to just have a good time. And in part, that's what the book of Esther, the book we're going to read from today, is all about. It's about a little-known yet very important party in the life of Hebrew people. And it's a fun way to celebrate that party that for now millennia has been going on. And some of us don't even know the name of this party. The name of this annual celebration that was literally dictated for and identified in the book of Esther is called Purim. Have you heard of Purim, anybody? Okay, a few more people in this than the nine. There was one sole guy who raised his hand in the nine o'clock. Purim is an annual celebration that started in the book of Esther, and it comes from the, the word pur is referencing a lot. And Haman, who's the bad guy, the villain in the story, we'll talk briefly about him in a minute, but he cast a lottery to determine the date on which he would literally put all the Jews out of their misery and kill them all. It was essentially one of the original pogroms uh, that even started in the Bible. But it wasn't successful, and so the day after it was to have been achieved was the date that was determined, the 14th day of the month of Adar. For you and I, that's March, Adar. And so every March, usually mid-March or so, there's a celebration called Purim. And it's a celebration that involves a party. And the party looks something like this. The kids all dress up, even the adults get in costumes, and they celebrate. 
They um, read the story of Esther throughout its entirety, the 10 chapters, and they, uh, every time Haman's name is, is uh, called out, the kids will have big noisemakers, and they'll boo, and they'll hiss, and they'll, they'll condemn him, right, because he's the bad guy. They will also eat incessantly at this party every year, and they will drink sometimes until they fall over. It is a party. Aren't you sorry you're not Jewish? They will also give baskets of food both to family members and to those in need. And they are all celebrating one single thing, that the Jewish people were saved. It's literally a biblical party. And it's a fun and fascinating way to celebrate with our Hebrew brothers and sisters to honor the fact that they survived that they were saved from not only condemnation but from death in order that you and I as their cousins in faith could now become people as followers of Jesus. What a powerful gift that is. What a neat story it is. Now, the book of Esther has some problems. Uh, the word, the name, the identification of God is never mentioned in the entire book. God is never referenced by name ever once. The book of the law, the way in which people of faith in the Hebrew tradition follow their faith and perform their faith, is not referenced at all either. And because of those two omissions, some of the early church fathers felt like the book shouldn't even be included in the Bible. Hello. Martin Luther himself, part of the Reformation, felt as though it shouldn't be included in the Bible. He was not a fan of the book. And so you think about that and you're like, well, so what does that mean, and why is it there, and why do we have this uh, kind of uh, story time? And I would say to you for this reason, even though God's not mentioned by name, even though the law is not referenced at all in the book, there are deeply faithful concepts for us to abide by in this book. There is great good news that comes out of this book, like God's providence will always prevail. God's loving care, right? God's presence in our lives will always prevail. God is faithful through all the generations, is written across this entire book throughout, that we, because of that faithfulness and because of that providence, can be courageous and stand up for our faith, is written all throughout the book of Esther. It's a powerful book, one that we ought to read, one that I want to commend to you to read today. Before you take your nap this afternoon, you read the book. You can do it, right? I mean, it's read throughout the whole party, the celebration, and so it's an easy read. I want to encourage you to do that. And a part of what you will discover is the beauty of God's providence, the wonder of His faithfulness, and the delightful gift that that gives us emboldenment to be courageous for God in all we do and say. So the book itself is epic. It's one of those epic stories that tells a powerful uh, lesson of faith that I just want to share kind of uh, in, in a synopsis because uh, that way you can uh, discover it for yourself this afternoon. So it starts with a king. I can't even pronounce the guy's name, so I won't pronounce the king's name, but he's powerful and he rules the Persian Empire. And he wants everybody to know that he's powerful because that's what kings do, right? So he throws a banquet. And he literally casts out the invitation to the whole kingdom, and he throws this banquet for 180 days. Now, that's quite a party, wouldn't you say? 
And during that party, there's all kinds of food, and there's all kinds of drink, and there's all kinds of stories, and there's all kinds of events and activities that go on. But because the king is the king, and because he is who he is, he can throw not only a 180-day party, but because he didn't feel like 180 days was enough, he tacked on another seven days to the party, just so that people would know how much he could do and how powerful he was. And it was in that second leg of the banquet of the seven days that he wanted his queen, his glorious and beautiful queen Vashti, to come and to demonstrate herself and to show herself off because the king is powerful and a part of his power is not only in his wealth but in his queen, right? I'm not sure the king knew this, but queen Vashti was already having her own party on the side, and she didn't want to come. In fact, she said no. Well, you know, it's good to be the queen, but, but it's better to be the king because when Vashti said no, the king was upset and the king got rid of Vashti. That's all it took, right? And so now the king needs a new queen. He needs somebody uh, to be with him and to uh, help rule the kingdom with him. So he, he kind of conducts a, 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 a program and, a, and an audition for there to be new queens. And so he casts out the word and all kinds of folks kind of audition. And Esther is one of those people. And Esther, who is Jewish, not Persian, Esther is Jewish. She goes, steps into the ring, and she kind of prettifies herself, and she gets ready, and by golly, she swoons the king, and she becomes the queen. And her uncle, Mordecai, is both elated by this and perplexed by this because he thinks to himself, you're Jewish, you're not a part of the Persian Empire. How is it that you can be queen, and why is this working, and how will this last? And so he and Esther have several conversations about this because, of course, Esther has not mentioned this to the king, that she's Jewish and not Persian, and yet the king loves her anyway, right? So back and forth they go, and while they're kind of talking back and forth, Mordecai and Esther, a guy named Haman, who's the second right-hand man to the, to the king, Haman discovers that Mordecai's Jewish, and he hates Mordecai, and so he prepares this lottery that I referenced, and he's going to kill not only Mordecai, but all of the Jews. He brings the king on board. The king kind of thinks that's an all right kind of thing to do. So even though the king is a fan of Mordecai's, he acquiesces to Haman's plan, and therefore Haman conducts a lottery on which he's going to choose by lot the date on which he's going to kill all the Jews. And it, it lands, and they set a date. Mordecai catches wind. He talks to Esther. He shares with her his, his concerns, and they begin to have a conversation via a, a, an intermediary, a eunuch, because as close as Mordecai is with the king, he can't always get in the castle. So in order for he and uh, Esther to have a conversation, they've got to have this eunuch conduct the conversation. And it goes something like this, beginning in Esther chapter 4. Esther is conversing with the eunuch to tell Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. She's making it real clear to Mordecai what he's asking of her to go tell the king that she's Jewish. It's not going to be easy. You can hear in her own voice that it sounds very difficult. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come to the king for 30 days. She hasn't seen her own husband for 30 days. 
when they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply this to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. And then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. That's pretty cool. Esther finds the strength and the courage, even though she may be killed, to go talk to the king, to convey who she is and her desire to save her people. That's a pretty bold step, wouldn't you say? It's hard enough to just sort of own that I'm different and I don't really belong and, and this is not the way it ought to be. But then also to say, I want my people saved and I want them to survive and live and thrive. Man, that's a tall order, wouldn't you say? But Esther gains courage to do what she knows is right. So she goes to the king, who, by the way, held this golden scepter, welcomed her in, promised her that when she expressed to him what her desires were, that he would offer her up to one half of his own kingdom, whatever it was she wanted. So she said, King, I got some stuff I got to share. First, I'm Jewish. Oh, my. Secondly, did you know that Haman's got a horrible plan in place to kill all the Jews? <gasps> no. She conveys the message to the king. He um, displaces Haman. I'll let you read later today before your nap the way in which he removes Haman. It is not pleasant. But then he puts Mordecai second in command. And therefore, the day on which the lottery had fell, when the Jews would be killed according to Haman's plan, they weren't killed. The lottery didn't work. Haman didn't succeed, and Mordecai rises to fame, and the Jewish people unite with the Persian Empire, and all is well. And so, in the last few chapters of the book of Esther, we are commanded to put in place a party called Purim, and we will celebrate every year for millennia because we, the Israelites, have been saved. We have not been killed. We have not been destroyed. We have not been annihilated. But rather, we have been saved, and we are able to profess our faith and live our faith openly, all because Esther had courage to stand up and to speak up for herself and for the people of God. Isn't that a great story? It's a powerful story that some millennia now following, 
Every single year, it'll be March 23rd and March 24th of 2024, you'll celebrate Purim. And they'll have a great big party with costumes and noisemakers and food and joy and elation because we have been saved. Sounds like we ought to have a party. We've been saved. We've got a Savior. We have somebody who has walked with us and talked with us and given us all that we need to celebrate life and joy, and we have not been killed, and we have not been annihilated, and we have overcome as followers of Jesus. What a powerful gift this is. This is why we need Esther's story. Doesn't matter that God's name is not mentioned. Doesn't matter that the law has not been lifted up. What's been lifted up are the powerful truths of God that looks something like this. God provides. It's called providence. It's a long-standing theological concept. God provides. God provides a way where there seems to be no way, not only for Esther, but for you and for others. It's the way God functions, right? God provides a way when there seems to be no way. It's not always the way we might choose. It's not always the direction we might want to go. It's not always the outcome that we may be looking for. But God has a phenomenal way of clearing a way and helping us get through the muck of life, helping us traverse across and through the deep pits of life. This is how God functions. And we see over and over again in Scripture, both Old and New Testament, where, where this is the case, that God's providence, God providing, God's love, God's care, God's providence providing a way forward. I love the way Paul, the apostle, wrote about this when he was writing to the church at Corinth, and the Corinthian church was a mess, <laughs> full of all kinds of folks from all kinds of walks of life, and they were all trying to follow Jesus, a great example of the modern-day church, right? People from all walks of life doing all kinds of things, just trying to follow Jesus. Part of what Paul wrote in the second letter, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he just said, look, God has the power to provide with you more than enough for all the various kinds of grace. God has that power. God has that capacity. And the story of Esther is helping portray that to us, that God provided a way where there clearly seemed no way. She was a Jew in the Persian Empire. She shouldn't have been there. Uh, she shouldn't have had the strength nor the capacity nor the courage to go talk to the king. She shouldn't have had any way to help save her people. But God's providence provided a way. And it's God's providence that provided a way for her to be courageous enough to stand up and talk. So the second thing I think we glean from Esther's story is we can be courageous we can be courageous enough to stand up and to step out and to follow the God who brought us this far and to speak up and to speak out on behalf of the faith of Jesus in order to help other people know of his love. Again, throughout all of Scripture, we see God claiming for the people of God, the Israelite people and the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, to, to, to do this because we forget, right? We get scared. 
Pastor Gracie mentioned that just before the prayer. We, we sometimes get set aside or we come get beside ourselves because we're, we're unclear or we're unsure about how to follow through with life and with faith. But God is faithful and therefore we can be courageous. I reflect back all the way back to the book of Joshua, right? Joshua takes on the helm of leadership after Moses. He's a young guy. He uh, is probably scared to death, but he's got to get them to the promised land. And right off the bat in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God, I command you, God's commanding Joshua to be strong and courageous, not to be afraid or to be dismayed, but to know that God is with you wherever you go. Three more times in that same single chapter, Joshua is told, be strong and courageous, because you know he's scared to death. But we also know God is bigger than us and better than us and stronger than us, and God can help us to be bold and strong and courageous. The Apostle Paul, in writing to that same Corinthian church early in the first letter, at the very end of that letter, he's trying to bring encouragement to them and trying to remind them they, they can make this, they can do this. So in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he just says, keep alert, stand firm in the faith, be strong, be courageous. You can do this. God is with you. God's providence goes before you and will follow after you. Be courageous. This is a powerful lesson from Esther for all of us. And finally, I think what we can learn from Esther's story and from her faithfulness is this. God is faithful. God is faithful to continue on with us. God is faithful to open the doors for us. God is faithful to be with us throughout our traversing. And therefore, God in Esther helps them become who they become. Who knows? Maybe you have been selected for just such a time as this. I want you to go home and read the book of Esther today. I want for you to know of its strength for your lives and power for your courage. I love the way uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews put this about this um, faithfulness of God. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for the one who promises will be faithful. God is faithful, always. God is with us, always. And a part of our faith and followership of Jesus is to Trust and believe that that's true. So when you read the book of Esther this afternoon, I want for you to read for God's providence. And I want for you to listen for God's faithfulness throughout so that you could indeed recognize how it is and, and why it is Esther has enough courage to speak up and to speak out on behalf of herself and of God's people so that they would be saved. I love the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness lasts through all the generations. Friends, this is the lesson of Esther. And it's a powerful lesson because here's what I know about me, and therefore I assume about you. We've all got something going on in our lives, maybe in our homes, maybe at our work, maybe in a nonprofit, maybe in your neighborhood, or maybe even here, where we need to be courageous, 
where we need to stand up for what is right and good and appropriate. And I want for you to remember, God is faithful. God's providence goes before us. And therefore, we can have courage to speak up, to speak out, and to act on behalf of the gospel. It really is a tale as old as time. God is faithful, and God's love is never failing. I think that deserves a party, and I think we ought to celebrate it today, tomorrow, and the next day, because God really is worthy of our praise. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your love found in Jesus Christ who was faithful throughout all the generations in his love and never-failing mercy. Thank you for Jesus, who courageously stood before uh, the community and, and before the religious elite and said, this is God's way. Thank you for Jesus, whose providence goes before us every single day and helps claim for us a life worthy of loving, loving you, and loving others. So God, help us in the midst of that providence and that faithfulness to be courageous enough to share your love. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of the one Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.